This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information at Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. Spirit of the Lord is saying this morning, the time has come. The time has come for true worship. You say, Pastor Seth, I don't know if, if you missed something, but we just spent you know, 30 minutes worshiping. The Lord says, no, the time has come for true worship. Today we're going to be talking out of John chapter 4, verse 19, going through 24. While you're turning there, I'm going to set up the scene here. In chapter 4 of of the book of John, we get this unique picture of Jesus that we don't really see in very many other places. Actually, it's almost unique to this place. Jesus is traveling, and he's cutting through Samaria while he's traveling. And he stops because he's tired. He wants wants a drink, and he sits down next to this well. This well is Jacob's well. It's the well that Jacob dug for his son Joseph. He's sitting on the, on the property of Joseph, which is now turned into the worship place of the Samaritans. And he's sitting there, and, and a woman approaches to draw water from the well, and, and he has this discourse with her where he's going, talking back and forth, um, and he asks her to get him a drink of water. She says, do you, do you know who I am? You're, you're a Jewish man, and you're talking to a Samaritan woman. See, obviously, I'm I'm sure many of you guys know that Samaritans, the Jews, didn't get along. The reason they didn't get along is because the Samaritans were, their descendants were Jews that when they were exiled to Babylon, they uh, intermarried and they had children with their captors. And when they came back to rebuild the temple of Jerusalem, they wanted to help build it because those were their ancestors as well. But the Jewish people denied them. They said, you can't help because you're not pure anymore. You married into Gentile blood. And so they stopped that. And that created this, this, not a war, but it was definitely a disliking. Like imagine, you know, Sox fans versus Cub fans just on crack or something. It was an extreme disliking. We see that disliking when, when Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, right? It's so shocking that the Samaritan is the one to stop and help the Jews. It's shocking because they hate each other. They're at war, and they're at war in not only disliking each other, but they have different views on what worship is. And so Jesus is talking to her, and he says, give me some water. If you knew the person that you were talking to, you would know that he would be wanting to give you living water, water that would make you never thirst again. This goes completely over the chick's head. She's like, sir, if you got that water, I'd love to have it. But are you, greater than, are you greater than our father Jacob? You see, this woman's completely missing Jesus' point. Jesus is talking in all metaphors, and he's talking about saving her life, and he, she still thinks he's talking about water. And as they sit there, they talk back and forth. Jesus does something that in all of the other Gospels, he doesn't do until the very end. He reveals that he is the Messiah. To a Samaritan woman. Not to his disciples. Not to those closest to him. To a Samaritan woman. 
she says, I know, of the, I know of the Messiah that's going to come and save us. And he says, I am he. Incredible, incredible look at Jesus that we don't get in any of the other Gospels. But Jesus says something in this passage that is, is almost in passing that he says. It's an answer to one of her questions. But I feel like his answer has so much truth and so much uh, uh, knowledge that it can reveal to us on how we're supposed to live our life, how we're supposed to worship. And that's where we come in on, on, on chapter 4. Are you there at verse 19 yet? All right. I'm reading out of the NASB, so it might sound a little different. Um, it says, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither this mountain nor Jerusalem will, were neither in this mountain nor on Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord God, that you've given me to preach, Lord God, to speak your word. I pray, Lord God, that I would effectively communicate the, uh, the, the message that you have given me, Lord God. I thank you and I, I, for the honor that it is, Lord God, to speak your word, Lord God. I pray that it would pierce our hearts, Lord God, and that we would go forward, Lord God, and live in what you're teaching. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Jesus makes one command. He says, true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. True worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. If you're taking notes today and you're wanting to get a little bit ahead, my points are point number one, worship. Point number two, in spirit. Point number three, in truth. So just to get ahead, I don't have them up there, but it shouldn't be hard to follow. Again, what's the command? Worship in spirit and truth. All right, just making sure you guys pay attention. First thing he says is worship. There's a conflict of worship that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. Like I was saying, they hated each other on a personal level, but it also had to do with their worship. You see, when the Samaritans had left and intermarried, in that culture, when you intermarried, you were not just marrying the person, but you were marrying their God as well. And so idolatry had filled their, filled their homes. Not that the Jews weren't uh, worshiping idols either. But this had, had become, this pagan lifestyle had, had mixed and tainted their Jewish religion. And so when they came back for a while, they, they worshipped idols. But eventually they said, no, we're going to worship Yahweh. And we're going to worship the God of our ancestors. The problem is they didn't know him. They ended up saying, forget the Jews. They say all, all this stuff. They say we're supposed to worship in, 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 uh, in Jerusalem. We're going to worship by, our, by us. We're going to worship on our father Jacob's mountain, on Mount, Mount Gerizim. And so they, they set up there, and they have their own uh, uh, ways of worship that is nothing like the Jews. Meanwhile, the Jews are sticking to, to what God said through David and through the prophets. They're worshiping in Jerusalem. So their worship has now become so different in conflict, and they argue whether or not they should, where, what place they should worship. 
Also, I should note that the Samaritans also dismissed everything that happened with the prophets. So after, when the prophets came, they, don't, they didn't believe in David. They didn't believe in any of that stuff. They thought that's all hooey. They believed that, that they were worshiping in the right place. They were worshiping on their father's mountain. But neither of their worships were true. See, Jews, while they knew who the Father was, and while salvation, which was going to come through Jesus, was coming through a Jewish birth line, they worshipped God in in a ritualistic, in in a a form of worship that was riddled with traditions and and things that, that, quite frankly, God wasn't even asking for at this point. You know, for a long period of time, actually, still to this day, Jews will not say God. They won't say God. They will say, if they're writing it, it will be like G-D for fear that they will take the Lord's name in vain. They, just a lot of things that, that God did not command, they, they had developed and they had, it had become a part of their worship. But it wasn't real. They knew who God was, but they were missing something. Samaritans didn't have a knowledge of God. Jesus says it right here. He says, you, do, you worship what you don't know. But they had heart. There's a, I believe there's a reason why God or why Jesus mentions that it's a Samaritan that helps the one who's broken and beaten. That the Samaritan is the one who stops. There's something there. Samaritans may have had heart. They may have been good people, but they didn't know who they were worshiping. And that worship is tainted and it's incomplete. Jesus' words that he's using here are going to be multidimensional. There's there's many different facets to his points here. His first thing is that worship isn't about a place. It didn't matter about Jerusalem. It didn't matter, matter about Mount Gerizim. Worship isn't about a place. You see, because Jesus was coming in and he says in John 2 that he is the new temple. He says, tear this temple down and I will rebuild it in three days. He's talking about himself. Jesus comes to usher in a new form of worship. He is the new temple. We read in Hebrews 8 that there is a new tabernacle because the old one is obsolete. The tabernacle that used to house the presence of God is completely obsolete because Jesus came and he, and he, and he as our high priest, walked through a most holy place. And he tore the veil and he, and he got rid of the separation. And he allowed us to come and, and, and sit at the Father's feet. Something that we never could have done because we were riddled with sin. Jesus came and as our high priest, he, he, he got rid of that. And because of that, the old tabernacle is no more. I would, act, I would argue that, that, that part of that new tabernacle lives inside of us because where does the Spirit dwell? The spirit, spirit dwells inside of the tabernacle and the Spirit dwells inside of you. That means everywhere that you go, you are carrying the presence of God. Worship is not about a place, and Jesus wants to get that straight. He is our high priest. He, medita- he is our mediator before God. And because we can do that, we can pray, we can worship, we can dance. You could, you could sing up here at the altar, or you could go home and worship Jesus while you're on the pot. doesn't matter. What does true worship look like? The Greek term for worship that Jesus uses here is proskuneo. This is where we get the term to, to lay prostrate. 
If you look up in the dictionary what prostrate means, you're going to find two definite, uh, definitions. To lay prostrate before the Lord. One, it means to lie face down in reverence or submission. Two, it means to reduce someone to weakness. If you're using prostrate in a verb, you could say, I was prostrated by my circumstances. Both definitions give us accurate depictions of worship. True worship must start at a place of humble surrender. This means fully understanding that we don't belong in the presence of God. I touched on this a little bit during worship on Wednesday. And I was just talking to the worship team about it in in the back. We need to fully understand that we don't belong here. We do not belong here. And until we do that, until we have a great understanding that we are only here by the grace of God, we're only saved, we can only come to the altar, we can only lift our hands by the grace of God, until we do that, we will not understand what worship means. My nephew Lucas, uh, a lot of you guys might know him, for a while, for three years, he lived with me and Mona. And uh, so he was running around these halls. He was the red-headed kid, if you didn't know. Uh, he's a great kid. He's super sweet. He, he, he tries hard, and he's just a good kid. Um, unfortunately, he has some kind of circumstances in his life that, that have you know, put him in a rough spot. And I remember one time, uh, it was, I can't remember what point it was. It had to have been the second half of the school year because baseball was about to start, and he loves baseball, loves playing baseball. And he was like 12 or 13 at this point. And... Uh, he comes home, like, you know, like normal. I'm like, hey, Luke, you know, uh, you, got, you got any homework? Oh, no, the teacher didn't give us any homework. Okay. I'm sure you guys know where I'm going with this. So, nope, didn't get any homework. Oh, he's telling me about, oh, yeah, I have a test coming up on Friday next week. Hey, did your teacher give you back that test? Uh, nope, she never gave it back to me. Turns out, yep, I guess she didn't want to count it or something. Yeah. I'm like, okay. How about now? Do you have homework? Uh, yeah, only one sheet, only one sheet of homework. I'm like, I'm thinking, these teachers need to be sending home more homework. I would be stuck doing homework for hours when I was a kid. I'm like, uh, finally we're going for a you know, parent-teacher conference. And uh, I'm sitting with this teacher, and she's like, you know, I'm really concerned about Lucas. He hasn't turned in any of his work. And uh, I'm like, what? And she's like, yeah, and he's getting bad grades on tests. And she's really concerned. And so he's, like, staring at me like, oh, my gosh. Like, and so, you know, um, I didn't have the privilege of, you know, learning patience with children, um, you know, by raising them from the time they were infants to the time that he was a teenager. I just got thrown in when he was a teenager. So I'm like, uh, Luke, man, like, it, we're, we're very close. I'm like, Luke, like, you can't do this, dude. Like, what are you doing? You're screwing yourself up. Screw you going forward. Like, this is going to be so much harder on you. And so uh, we're just, ha- I'm having this heart to heart with him. And, you know, he's, he's tearing up. And I'm like, I'm like, I- I actually restrained myself pretty good, uh, and uh, which I probably learned from my dad. My dad would do, no offense to him, but my, my dad, when you were really in trouble, he didn't yell. He just, he just would kind of get quiet, and you're like, oh, God, what's coming? Like, it was the worst. You know, like, I would just scream, holler at me, do something, and he would just kind of get quiet and be like, go to your room, you know, and you're like, oh, it was the worst. So anyway, so uh, I'm like, you know, you know you're wrong here. I'm like, like there has to be some kind of punishment here. They're, they're, and, and so I'm like talking. I'm like, baseball's coming up, and I'm like, this is big, dude. You lied to me. Like you lied to me. You lied to your aunt, and uh, we can't have that. I, I have to take away baseball from you. And he's like, 
pray. And it takes it takes like a man. I get it. I, des- I deserve it. You know, I I I uh, I, uh, I I, sh- I shouldn't play baseball. And I'm I'm so wrong. I'm so sorry about that. It makes it really hard to be mad at kids when 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 they're like when they take it, you know. So I'm like, all right, go to your room. So he goes up to his room and and I'm like sitting there with Mona. I'm like, I feel really bad. I really want him to play baseball, you know. Like, and I, I think part of it is I, I want to go to baseball games. So, and uh, I really want him to go. Ba- I feel really bad. Plus, he like he took it like a man, you know. He admitted that he was wrong and he faced it. And and uh, so it, the whole time, like he's tearing up, but he's not like crying. He comes down, and, and I'm like, Lucas, listen, whenever I screw up, Jesus shows mercy on me. So I'm going to show mercy on you, and uh, we're going to let you play baseball. And uh, but you need to promise me that you're going to get this back. So the moment that I, that I said, we're going to show mercy on you, he went, ah! And he body slammed the couch and starts weeping. And I'm like, like looking at my wife like, wow, okay. Like, I thought that was going to happen when I was yelling at him. Like, ah, he's crying. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And I'm like. Okay, like, okay, stop crying now. Like, you know, like, you know, like, it's all good. You know, I'm making everything better. Oh, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And, and he ended up having a really good school year. He went back and he turned all his grades into A's and B's and he had a great baseball season and everything went good. Um, but there was something about it. it. When he was acknowledging that he didn't deserve it, he knew he didn't deserve the mercy and it brought him to tears. I, I will never forget how he, he body slammed the cow. It was just like, wow! threw himself backwards and I was like as I was preparing the sermon I was like that's what it looks like when you're like I don't deserve it it's why you see people in the church laying a face down before God saying I don't deserve your mercy it's why you see people broken and on their knees saying I don't deserve your mercy it's why you may hear people screaming when they're praying because they just can't believe how great his mercy is We have to know, we have to know it, that we don't belong here. We don't belong in his presence, but Jesus made a way. That the Father made a way so that we could enter into his presence. We have to approach God in a humble surrender. The Bible says that when we are weak, then we are made strong. When we worship and we humble ourselves, that is when we're lifted up. You cannot worship God without humbling yourself. I'm going to say that again. You cannot worship God without humbling yourself. If you do not humble yourself, then I don't know who you're worshiping, but you're not worshiping God. You may be worshiping yourself. You may be worshiping uh, your job, your family, even your kids, but you're not worshiping God. A couple of months ago, Pastor Dave was talking in a message, and I can't get it out of my head. He was saying that if your God doesn't look like what the God of the Bible says, then you're worshiping an idol. If your God winks at sexual sin, then you're worshiping an idol. If your God allows you to, to, to treat others with disrespect, then you, you're, you're, you're worshiping an idol. If your God allows you to be racist, you're, 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 uh, you're worshiping an idol. If you're not worshiping a God that lines up with what the Scripture says, you're worshiping an idol. We have to make sure who we're worshiping. We cannot be like the Samaritans who called him Yahweh, but weren't worshiping him as Yahweh. They were worshiping him as all of the mixtures of the gods that have, 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 have tainted who they were. Unfortunately, that's what most of the church looks like at times. Jesus said, true worship is coming, and it is here, but it will be done in spirit and in truth. Second point, in spirit. 
The Greek word for spirit is pneuma. I'm sure you might have heard that. There's like so many, everyone names their ministry pneuma. I don't, I don't even know how trademarking works with that, but it's just all, everywhere. The word pneuma means breath, or it means the substance that is breathed. There are people that, that believe that some ancients interpreted this as meaning from the depth of your being. Think of it. Everybody take a deep breath with me right now. Sorry, I have such nose. Okay. When you pulled that breath up, you pulled it from the deepest part of your body, it feels like. That's how they understand the spirit. We are nothing without the breath that we breathe. The moment that we stop breathing, we are dead. The moment that we stop drawing in oxygen and breathing it out, we are dead. It is the very substance of our life and our being. Jesus refers to the Spirit in a similar manner in John 6, 63. Jesus is, is, is talking and he's teaching to his disciples and Pharisees. And he's saying things like, unless you eat of my body, unless you drink of my blood, then you truly won't know what salvation is. And he, and he, he's, then you truly will not have life. And everybody's kind of looking around like, like, man, Jesus seemed like a nice guy and now he's turned into a cannibal. Like... Everyone's getting weird, and Jesus sees them all getting weird, and he says, does that offend you? The words that I'm speaking to you are spirit, and they are life. They are the very substance upon which you will live. The bread of life is the source that will leave us without hunger or thirst. If we eat the bread, just as, if we eat that bread, then just as the Father who sent Jesus made Jesus alive, then so we will be made alive by Jesus. What that means is Jesus was only alive because he had a purpose from the Father. He was sent from the Father. And because he was sent from the Father, he was born in a manger and grew up. And we just went through the whole Christmas season. And pretty soon we're going to be in Easter where we find out about the, 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 the temporary ending of his life. And then rebirth. None of that happens if, G, if God, the Father doesn't have a purpose for him. That means that the purpose, the breath that you breathe, the very substance of your being is your worship. That is your pneuma. That is your worship. The very breath you breathe, every breath you take, like the song says, every move you make. That is your worship. And you will have purpose. If you have purpose from the Father, then you have life. Jesus lived to do what the Father had sent him to earth to do. Jesus says those words are spirit and life. That is how we exist. To worship in the spirit is to worship God with all our breath, all our being. Every time you suck air in the morning, if you're not breathing out something that is God-breathed, then you're not worshiping. Every time you lift your hand at work, every time you take a step, the old children's church song said, every move I make, I make in you. You make me move, Jesus. Every time you move, that is your worship. Every single time you take a step forward, if you're not focusing on worshiping Jesus, then your worship is incomplete, church. I know that is a crazy word, but God said, I'm tired of the incomplete worship. I'm tired of the Jewish worship. I'm tired of the Samaritan worship. It is time for true worshipers. 
True worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. Everything must be for His glory. And it must be our joy to honor Him. Amen? You can't walk around going, oh, give God glory. Give God glory. Give God glory. Give God glory. That's not, that's not glory. That's, you don't have any joy. Make sure you have a smile on your face when you're worshiping Jesus, church. Sometimes we get that worship stink face. You know, the... You know, where it looks like we're in pain. I'm sure you guys have all gone on at home. I, I'm sure I get stink face when I'm singing. That, that it looks like God is like twisting an arm. Put a smile on your face, church. This is worship. Jesus says that we must worship God in spirit because God is spirit. See, when we worship in spirit, we are worshiping in the very nature and the very character of God. This means that true worship connects with the heart of the Father. There is intimacy in that, and God longs for intimacy with mankind. He longs for that relationship. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand and I knock at the door. Behold, I stand and knock, and if you open it, I'm going to come in and I'm going to eat with you. There is intimacy in that. When I was reading the scripture, I, I was picturing John Cusack and say anything, holding up a boombox outside our window. I was picturing him throwing pebbles at our window. Hey, let me in. I want to come inside. God desires intimacy, church. We have to connect with his heart and worship. And his heart is revealed in his spirit, in the nature of his spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the spirit is, say it with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. If our worship is anything less than that, it's incomplete. And it's unacceptable to God. That is world-shattering for us. When we think that in the light of this new pneuma worship, this true worship that we're being called to, that all of our breath, all of our worship, Every time, like I said, when you suck air, if you're not breathing out love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, then our worship is incomplete. But Jesus doesn't just say worship in spirit. He says worship in spirit and in truth. The mark against the Samaritans was that they worshipped a God that they did not know. Their worship, like I said, was tainted. It was defiled by, by all of the intermarrying with other gods and other uh, uh, religions. Anybody here watch the show The Middle? Yeah? No? You guys don't watch The Middle? Oh, it's really funny. Um, so there's this episode in one of the earlier seasons um, when Brick was a little kid. Uh, I think Brick was like the cutest little weird-looking kid. And uh, so anyways, there's, there's this episode that's a Mother's Day episode, and uh, the whole family forgets that it's Mother's Day, and uh, so the father's like, oh yeah, no, I knew it was Mother's Day, and like it like screen cuts to him in the kid's room going like, how do we forget again, you know, and uh, so he's talking to his kids, they're all laying on, on, on the bed, and he's like, what are we going to do, what are we going to get mom for, work, for, for, uh, for Mother's Day, and uh, he says, what is your mom like? And the kids go like, oh, she loves taking me to school. Uh, she loves uh, like taking take me to, my, to basketball practice. She loves taking me to extracurricular activities. And he goes, no, that's what you like what your mother does. That's not what she likes to do. 
A lot of times that's how we worship God. Because we don't know who God is, we worship Him on how, how we think that He would like to be worshipped. I'll let you think on that a little bit. We worship Him the way we think He would like to be worshipped. As opposed to worshipping Him how He wants to be worshipped. Jesus declared that He is the truth. He, or he is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. In John 14. What Jesus means here is that He is the full revelation of the Father. If you want to worship in truth, you need to get to know Jesus. If you want to worship God how He longs to be worshipped, you've got to look at Jesus. In the past, they had only seen a glimpse of who the Father was. In His laws, and in the temple, and they had only seen a glimpse of it. But when Jesus came, Scripture tells us that the fullness came with Him. Hebrews 1.3 says He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. And He upholds all things by the power of His word. If you want to worship, you better get to know Jesus. See how he prays. See how he lived his life in the scripture. See the words that he said. See how he loved people. How he loved the outcasts. See how he prayed and he healed the sick. See how, how he spoke words and then he followed it up with action. Get to know Jesus. Get to know the truth and you can worship in truth. There's another layer to this and I'm going to close with this. Another layer to worshiping in truth, and it involves laying ourselves open and honest before the Lord. When I look at Scripture and I see Jesus' interactions with people, at some point in his interaction with them, he looks past the facade. He looks past what they put on the outside, and he speaks the truth. With Judas, he gives him a kiss, and he says, You betray me with a kiss, Judas. With the rich young ruler, he said, oh, really, you've never sinned in your entire life. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Go and sell everything. Oh, you can't do that? Yeah, I thought so. He calls the truth out. With Peter, Peter says, Lord, I'm so sorry that I messed up. And he says, do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Yes, of course I love you. No, no, no. Do you love me? Don't tell me what you think you're supposed to tell me. Tell me what you feel. And at the woman, with the woman in the well, like we were just talking about, he says, do you have a husband? She says, no, I don't have a husband. He says, I'm trying to avoid say, saying cut the crap. <laughs> he says, cut the crap. You have, you've had five husbands, and even the one you're with now is not who you are. God looks past what we try and, that, that shield that we try and put up we do it every day, every Sunday, and every Wednesday, if we're lucky, that you walk in these doors, and that I walk in these doors, we try and we put a shield up, and we say, we put on this, this front of, of, of our worship, and we stand there, and we worship with our arms, our arms raised high, but in reality, we're broken. In reality, you were just fighting with your wife before you walked in because you guys are going through a hard time. And instead of walking in and someone saying, hey, how are you doing? Instead of saying, you know what, I'm really going through a hard time. You say, I'm doing great, brother. Blessed and highly favored. Jesus looks past all that. 
In 1 Samuel, Samuel tells us that God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. So who are you putting on the show for? Who are we putting on the show for? Because God sees our heart to begin with. We have, if we're going to worship in truth, we have to be honest with ourselves when we approach the Father. When we come to worship, we've got to stop the show. We've got to get serious, and we have to do it now. Church, the Spirit of the Lord is saying the time has come. It is here, and it is now for true worshipers. And I've got to say, sometimes messages like this end in you guys leaving, and sometimes they end in us having an altar call. But today I think it's appropriate for both. Because if you're going to live, walk out of here and learn to worship, it has to start at the foot of the cross. It has to start in humble submission. So I want to invite you right now, look deep into your heart, and if you can say that I walk around and I worship in spirit and in truth every single day, then go home and keep doing it. But if you're like, I've fallen short, then I want, to, I want to fill these altars and I want to pray and I want to get us on the right track, church, because we live in a world where we can't afford not to. Jesus said the time is now. Don't wait till tomorrow. The time is now. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.berwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.